The Redneck Tech Podcast is brought to you by Mike'sArchery.com. They're a one-stop shop for virtually everything archery, bow hunting, and for your next outdoor adventure. Mike's Archery has been at the top of the archery game for over 50 years, and they want to give listeners of the Redneck Tech Podcast 10% off their entire online store using the code REDNECK10, all one word. Just put the code in before you check out, and your boys will hook you up. The guys at Mike's have always been good to us, and now they can be good to you too. Visit mikesarchery.com and get your gear now. Right here, right here, right here, right here. Yeah. You want it? Yeah. What's up, everybody? Back to Redneck Tech Podcast. It's right after Christmas, and I'm lone wolfing it today. Um, all the guys are cranking out edits, trying to get everything done for the first of the year with some launches for Brigara and stuff like that. But I have Tom Kubernick on the phone from Secure It, and he um, right on before we started talking on the phone, he just told me two or three more interesting things that I might have to have to throw out some of my notes because he's got even more interesting stuff to talk about. How are you doing, Tom? I'm doing great. I'm doing, uh, yeah, doing really well. It's been a, you know, kind of glad the holiday season's behind us. I enjoy it. Great time with the family, but I'm anxious to jump in the next year. I think a lot of Americans are anxious to jump out of this year. Well, anxious to jump out of this year, but I think anxious to see what's coming in 2023. Yeah. I think there's obviously yeah. some things with the economy are going to have to happen. Some things with the housing market and, uh, you know, obviously we have our wonderful political uh, arena that we live in that uh, we, I don't want to talk about that, but I mean, everybody knows like no. there's, everybody's kind of on the edge of their seat going, okay, what are the next two to five years going to hold? Because, you know, yeah. we went through the housing crisis, we went through COVID and now what's next? I think, I mean, we all have two black eyes from the last 20 years. So it's like, okay, how many more times can we get hit? Yeah, it's uh yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It's gonna. Everybody is sitting there with this with this uh, with this question mark. But I do think there's a level of optimism. Most of the people that I talk to are, you know, the media is kind of gloom and doom, and there's a lot of you know the political drive to spin stories is always what it is. But most of the basic regular people I talk to are enthusiastic. So I think. Uh, you know, I, I think things are going to be better than uh, the doomsday people say. Well, I think COVID, if if we can find the silver linings that came out of COVID, um, especially for what we do every day, there was more hunting license sales and more fishing license sales. Those numbers all went up first time in a long, long time. I think people rediscovered they need to get outside. They need to spend more time outside. They need to spend their money on things that they have fun doing, whether that's hunting, fishing, shooting, hiking, you name it. They want to be outside more. They want to um, they want to do the things that they kind of lost touch with. And once COVID got here, they really didn't have a choice. I know I talked to some of my buddies that, you know, they had been to, uh, you know, boat ramps that they'd been to their whole lives and they had never had to wait to back their boat in. And during COVID, they had to wait to back their boat in. And um, oh. that's, that's, yeah. that's good and bad. If you like to fish, you know, some of your fishing spots might be gone, but it's also good for people like you and me that make our living with people that like to shoot and to be outside and um, like to go fishing and, and do those type of things. So I, I think COVID definitely helped us in that regard. But um, 
you know, I, I wanted to talk to you about how, uh, you know, how it affected your business. But before we get into that, I want you to give kind of everybody a little bit of a background on you. You've got a very, your background comes from all over the place. I listened to you on the Black Rifle podcast and I didn't know a lot about you. You know, Baker kind of gave me a little bit, but uh, kind of give me a, a, a history of uh, who Tom from Secured is. <laughs> the uh, the Reader's Digest version. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I started playing guitar as a quite a young kid and was playing in bands and bars when I was 16, uh, 15, 16, and then graduated high school and was determined to be a guitar player and played a lot in, uh, in the East Coast. I ended up moving out to California, uh, lived in Hollywood, and was really pursuing a career in music. Tendonitis flared up. I got chronic tendonitis so bad I had to stop playing. So I with no skills whatsoever other than being a firecracker guitar player, I, uh, I took a job telemarketing and uh, was horrible at it, but I said, damn it, I got I to gotta figure something out. I got to survive yeah. and just immerse myself in the world of sales and started doing that. Two years later, I quit and started my first company in my apartment selling computer supplies, built that up over several years, sold it, started another company doing the same thing and got into the internet in the late 90s and started making websites. I just taught myself coding and started creating all these different websites, just trying to, it was the early days of the internet. And, uh, I, we, you know, through my computer supply business, we started selling tape racks and laptop security cabinets. When HIPAA laws came out that required hospitals to lock all their hard drives and laptops, we created a bunch of websites for these products. 2002, a guy calls me and says, can you store an MP5? I'm like, sure. What's an MP5? And he says, well, machine gun. <laughs> that was, a. Uh, he was with the FBI and, uh, you know, I kind of chuckled. And I started talking to him a little bit. And I said, you know what? Give me some time. I'd love to take on the challenge. I think we could do it. And uh, we started doing, I started doing some research just myself. Um, this was back in the days of Yahoo. Oh, yeah. And just bouncing around trying to look at and better understand because my background really isn't strong firearms. I didn't grow up as a big hunter and shooter. And uh, but I quickly realized the military was really struggling transitioning from the M16 to the M4, which was a traditional 39-inch rifle. So really, the M4 was a weapon system with lots of attachments and different configurations. And uh, I just got fascinated with it and started working with a company that made laptop cabinets for us. They were out of Canada. I called the owner. He's a friend of mine. I said, Steve, let's figure out a way of storing weapons in military armories. I think there's a real need for this stuff. I think we can figure it out. He started laughing. He said, Tom, I'm already working with the Canadian government doing that. So he and I started working together and developed what was then the um, integrated weapon storage platform, which was a, they were Canadian firm made it. We sold it in the U S but he, we did it for a few years, but he didn't want to make changes to the product and it really didn't meet the U S needs as, as I saw it. So in 2008, I designed and patented the secure tactical weapon storage platform, which now we simply call cradle grid by 2011. We were the primary supplier to the U.S. military. They absolutely loved what we did. And uh, we solved the real problem. And uh, we continue this day to be um, probably the global leader in military weapon storage systems, building armories. It's, it sounds impressive. It's a tiny niche market, but we do own it. And then in 2014, 15, right around then, we decided to go into the consumer products area. Um, sequestration hit the military, the forced um, cutbacks, financial cutbacks through sequestration and uh, the lack of our 
um, the, the lack of Congress to pass a budget um, forced the military into crazy cutbacks. And my company was decimated. So we said, we got to do something. So we went into retail and uh, it was slow going in the first couple of years, really just learning. And then uh, we brought our cradle grid system in and lightweight gun safes and modular storage and all the, all the things we learned in military armories, which really do apply to home. And the company's just taken off now. We're just, we're just growing, hiring, We've hired a lot of people. We've been Inc. Magazine, fastest growing in companies in America twice in the last three years. So it's, it's been a crazy ride. That is, that is, well, so first of all, there's a lot to unpack there. There's several things I want to hit on in there, but first, first and foremost, congratulations on building an incredible business. We actually have um, your quad uh, safe system. I can't remember the actual model name of it, but we have yeah, the here, agile quad. Yeah. That's yep. what we have here at the office. And it, it is the envy of everybody that walks into my office. Um, so we've got the, you know, the big stickers and everything on it. So we've tried to send a couple people that away, but yeah, it's, it's, it's something. And I want to jump into that in a little bit about how we want to try and transition one of those lockers into, um, hard drive and server and, uh, switch storage yep. for us, because that's something that we do a lot of here, but I want to go back. I want to go back even further to kind of to the early thing. First thing you said about is playing guitars. I do not know how to play a musical instrument. I have no musical talent whatsoever. <laughs> I've always wanted to learn how to play guitar, but I'm left-handed. What is some advice you would give to somebody who's like me, who's left-handed, trying to get in to learn how to play? Because everybody I know that plays is right-handed. And that's kind of been the reason I've given myself that excuse to try and not learn how to play. Well, we're going to pop that balloon right now. Okay. Oh, it doesn't matter. With right hand. I mean, Jimi Hendrix, perhaps one of the greatest guitar players ever, was left-handed. I know, and that's kind of why, so, like, that's what I tell people. I'm like, I might be Jimi Hendrix and not even know it. <laughs> well, I mean, most most guitars are made right-handed, left-handed versions. If you buy a simple acoustic, it can be fairly ambidextrous. Uh-huh. But the advice I give to everybody is it's not difficult to learn. It's hard to play. Yeah. But it's easy to learn. And what I mean by that is picking up a guitar and being proficient is really hard. Yeah. But if you just simply if you just simply pick up a guitar, set a timer for five minutes, and nuts around on it for five minutes every day, and don't ever miss a day. All of a sudden, you're going to bump that five to ten, and then ten. And you, especially with the internet now and the stuff you can find in terms of learning basic yeah. chords and stuff, it's all it, all you have to do is play the darn thing every day without skipping a day, and that's the that's the the thing about muscle memory and learning is it's really important not to, and when you miss a day, when you're really practicing and learning the basics, there, there are setbacks. You still keep going, but back in the day, I would, you know, I had another guitar player. We were friends. We played in many bands together and we, we kept a, I kept an actual, like a calendar chart. And I was a minimum of four hours of practice a day. Oh, wow. If my family, if I was going to like a Christmas party or we had a family thing going on, I actually set my alarm at four thirty in the morning to get up early to get my hours in, only because I didn't want to stand to like beat me for the week. <laughs> and, you know that was, but you know I got to a point where that's all I did. I mean, all day long I had a guitar in my hand or around my neck all day and just played. And it was, uh, it my the, the time in Hollywood was just magic in terms of people I was playing with and uh, things that were happening. But it, uh, I learned a valuable lesson about human anatomy and physics, you know, later in life, I started going to the gym and working out and learned that you don't work out the same muscle groups every day Yeah, because muscles, muscles build up fast, tendons build up slow and ligaments, 
you know, grow more. So you work your different groups to give things a chance to heal and get stronger. Mm -hmm. I was playing like eight, nine hours a day and I was working on a a second instructional video and it was a accelerating metronome program that I actually designed to teach people how to play quicker and cleaner. And uh, I did it every day and I, I truly blew my elbows out and just really screwed my, screwed my arms up. Well, it's funny. It's uh, kind of funny you said that because that was my next thing about the tendonitis. Is I was a I I played baseball my entire life, and I played, I pitched my whole life, and I pitched all four years in college, and I developed really bad biceps tendonitis my junior and senior year of college from same thing, just overuse of that that the left side of my body since I'm left-handed, and just not trying to get the proper rest to um, do the right workouts to try and offset those things and. And kind of, and after I listened to your Black Rifle podcast, I found a chiropractor that helped me more than any orthopedist I ever went to see. Um, they did all of the things, um, all the, the the right movements, the right stretches, the right you know muscle stimulation, the right heat, the right cold, um, and it was it was a life changing thing for me. It got me through my last two years of college um, at finding that chiropractor who would adjust me and then um, go through all the things I needed for my shoulder. It was it was a a big thing. Um, for me in, in college and kind of kind of doing something similar, which you you know you did it playing the guitar. I did it from throwing way too many bull bullpens and throwing way too many innings and in, and in, in, on the field. Yep, it's uh it's a pain. I've I've battled with it most of my life, and actually I I'm an avid golfer, or or I was an avid golfer. It kind of blew, a year and a half ago, my elbows blew up bad. I still at this point I cannot uh, I cannot swing a golf club. Oh, that it's sucks. Just, trying to battle back, it's, you know they've. It's funny, but trying to find, you know, orthopedics is anybody battling joint, you know, soft tissue, stay away from the whole orthopedic side of things. They just don't know. They yeah. don't. You're much better off with a good therapist or a good chiropractor. Um, I actually did the shockwave therapy, which works, except I did my own research. I, I always do. And I couldn't find a therapist that actually knew how to use the equipment properly. Oh, yeah. And I knew what they were doing. I said, that's, look, you're not hitting. You got to do it this way. You got to hit it harder here. Because I had done so much research, I bought the machine and actually took an online course to be a certified shockwave therapist <laughs> <laughs> just, you, just, just for myself. Yeah. And because it does work. But it's, uh, it's, it's, so I'm getting better right now. I'm, I'm in a healing mode. I'm hoping to play golf this summer. Well, but, good. Uh, I hope you do. I hope you get it figured out. Yeah. You know what? Something, I'll figure something out. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I'm going to keep moving forward and just doing something. Well, that's awesome. Well, the kind of the next thing I want to talk about when you're opening, uh, you know, kind of introducing yourself, you said that you, you, when the FBI called you about guns and everything, that you weren't familiar with that. And then you hadn't really, I obviously you, it didn't sound like you did a whole lot of gun shooting or hunting. So what was that? What was that? The, the reason you got into the shooting and the hunting, um, after that time? It's, it kind of is, it's, as a kid, I, you know, my parents, I, I grew up in a house without guns. My pa- my parents didn't hunt. I had uncles that hunted, but I wasn't part of that really. They were a, far, a ways away. Um, but it was interesting as a kid, like going to summer camp, I always won BB gun and the pellet gun competitions. That's awesome. I just, I just, I always, I always at first, maybe first, maybe second place. I was always like one of the guys that could just shoot. I always, I've always been like that with a rifle. Um, and, the, the, you know, this thing with the military started, and I just was fascinated by the challenge. I love the spatial relations and the 
I also, you know, with the golf, with the war, with everything going on, I, I wanted to do something to make a difference for these guys. You know, I wasn't in the military. I didn't, I wasn't in a position to, to do anything except if I could design armories that make these guys improved operational efficiency, made them better prepared to deal with what they've got to deal with. I said, Hey, there's a win. So we jumped in. And one of the big advantages for us and for me in designing the solution, you know, the secure cradle grid system is I didn't know what a weapon rack looked like. You know, I didn't have a background of all this stuff. So we set out to solve a problem of, um, wide variety of nomenclature, wide variety of different guns and a ton of gear into a locking box. How do you do that? Yeah. We walked the aisles of home Depot looking at how you store stuff. We called it home Depot development and, uh, kept it really simple and, uh, try to put and put a system together. You know, we had, we bullshitted our way into a contract with U.S. Army Special Forces. To, uh, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I love it. Your, was, those it was are a, my favorite stories. Some of the biggest hunting brands. That's how they were started. Is by some. It was. Yeah, uh, we can do that. We can. We can do that. It. It was. Uh, it was funny. It was. A, we were a three-person company at the time, Secure It, and I still had Greenline Data. My computer business was in California. I. I recently moved to to Central New York so I could raise my kids near family, and we started Secure It as a separate side business. It was three people. We became aware of a contract solicitation. Um, USAFIC, which is U.S. Army Special Forces Command at the time, wanted to hire a company to tour and survey all their armories and draft a report as to why they're all failing. They're failing inspections, gears lost, things are getting broken, and make recommendations for improvement. We were up against, you know, Harris, L3, these, all these huge defense contractors. We're a three-person company, so we got a meeting with a colonel down in Bragg. This is before the solicitation actually went out. Once the solicitation goes out, all you can do is submit a bid. You can't talk to anybody. But it was still there. This was like the rumor this was coming out. So we got the meeting. Gary Myrick and I walked into the office, and, you know, we're, we're in our hotel. We're like, can we do this? Can we pull this shit out? You know, can, can we actually do this? <laughs> um, so we walked in. And I just walked up to the guy and said, Colonel, my name's Tom Kubinek. I'm considered the leading authority on small arm storage and armory design. I really think we're the guys to do this. And we sat down. We talked for 15, 20 minutes, had a nice conversation. We left. Gary walked out, and Gary's like, what the? He goes, the hell was that? I'm just like, Gary, we're in the wild, wild west right now. Nobody knows how to do this. There is no authority. There is no expert. There's a few companies that, that make office furniture that are trying to make gun racks. I said, we just claimed it. We are the authority now. Now we got to back it up. Yeah. And uh, we won the contract. Our bid, I mean, we came in at probably 400,000 bid. You know, L3 came at it with probably 8 million. You yeah. know, it's just because they put this huge team and all this stuff. We're a little company. Yeah. And I spent 18 months flying around the country with access to armories that civilians don't have. Man, that's I had awesome. a liaison with me, a soldier with me. And we spent, you know, interviewing the armors, watching the workflow, um, really studying, measuring, photographing. Nobody's allowed to bring a camera into an armory. We were just to document and learn. And we came out of that. We gave them the report. And coming out of that is when we polished our design on our cradle grid solution. You know, the, and we presented it to the military. It was so simple. We didn't know if they were going to love it or laugh at it. And they absolutely loved it. It was a just because of the simplicity and it's a problem solving solution. See that right. So that right there, 
for those of you listening, and I've I've talked about some things similar in you know in terms of like talking the talk, and then being able to walk the walk, and you did both. You went in there, you claimed it, and then you did the work, and it paid off, and it's continuing to pay off. That's so cool to me to be able to see and hear a story um, of somebody going in, going you know not sure whether or not this is something they can do, and then knocking it out of the park by just sure will of making no saying to yourself, like, I'm going to get this done one way or the other hell or high water. We're going to get this and we're going to own it. And, uh, that's a really, really cool story. How many, uh, how many armories did you go to? How many are there? Um, well, there's the, all each group, you've got third group, fifth group, uh, first group, there's a whole bunch of group of special forces units. Each group would have 12 armories. Oh my God. And then, um, yeah, so it was, it was, it was, a, we, it was a lot of travel, but we were on, like, I was on Bragg. I think 7th and 3rd at that time were both at Fort Bragg. Um, then we were out in Colorado and uh, up near, C- it's, uh, first group is Lewis, just south of Seattle. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was long days, great oh, people to work with. And uh, it, it was actually, it was a lot of fun. It was, it was, a, you know, I got three little kids at home at the time. I was traveling a lot. It was tough, but, uh. You know, it always comes down to if you're willing to do the homework and put in the time, make bold statements. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, I tell everybody, I said, if there's no, I mean, everybody in business, if there's no leading authority, if there's no expert in your area, just put it on your damn website. Mm-hmm. Leading, you know, consider the leading authority in high pressure hoses, in whatever it is a company does, yeah. claim it and then. Right, then just write articles about what you know. Well, not only and, that, and, but, but you do that. You write that. You're the high-pressure hose guy of your area. Yeah. Well, then if you if someone says that you're not, they've got to prove you wrong. And most people aren't willing to do the work to prove you wrong. They, you're absolutely right. In fact, yeah, I was the leading authority on small arms storage, and all the other players are like, oh, okay. And we actually got brought in on contracts with these other groups because I was the guy. Yeah. You know, we did a, the Kuwait military get brought in on a, a uh, it was a U.S. firm contracted by Kuwait, funded through the U.S., but they brought us in for uh, weapon storage just because of that. That's incredible. And that was a good contract for us. Yeah, so, it was a. So you, so you went through all that. Military was your main your main gig That's for all a long, we did. Yeah, yeah, we were strictly for, defense contractors. And then, what, and what, what I think I remember you saying, was it 2008, 2011 time frame, you switched over to doing a lot more retail? And then that's your main the business now? The retail started in about 2015. 2015, 14, 15, okay, so even later than I thought, yeah. okay. Yeah, sequestration hit when the government cutbacks hit. Um, I sold everything I own. I mean, I laid off, I ended, I ended up laying off most of my staff. I ended up selling almost everything I own. My wife and I were looking at small little farmhouses to sell our house because we had no other assets worth anything. And we were out of money. We had no money. Oh, we just, wow. it, it was brutal. It was because security had grown. And, you know, I had a plane. I was flying, I was flying around the Northeast to military bases, to meetings. Um, we were crushing it. We just were, you know, it was a magic time. Everybody was making money. It was, it was a cool time. And all of a sudden the faucet got turned off. I went, five and a half, six months without getting a single order. You know, every two weeks I'm making payroll. Every month I'm paying rent. Now, all the bills, all you know, watching the bank account just slowly dwindle. And uh, it was, you know, it's at those times, though, 
when your back's against the wall and, you know, my kids were shielded, they really didn't know mm-hmm. what was going on. My wife, we, we kept them pretty, pretty much insulated. Um, but it's when your back is against the wall that you see things that you don't normally see. Oh, Why yeah. didn't I go into retail in 2005? 2000, yeah. I never, it never occurred to me because I was a defense contractor. I think the, the retail world is like a complete different side of the universe yeah. when you're, when you're a defense contractor. And, uh, once we started looking at retail, well, okay, it's a military market and it's heyday biggest year ever was 17 million. Maybe, um, right now it's probably five, four. It's, I mean, that's the market. The U S gun storage market is probably 600 million oh, wow. annual. So, you know, you tell, let's say, holy cow, why are we, why are we swimming in such a small, small pond when there's this huge ocean? And, uh, as we started looking in the retail, my first, uh, my first thought, we didn't know anything about it was let's just partner with a safe manufacturer and license our product. And we met with, uh, several, they're all, they all seem to be located near Salt Lake city. There's a whole bunch of safe companies out there. Liberty's out there, Fort Knox, a bunch of them. They all kind of, they all kind of spawned off of the same original company, I think. But uh, after having some meetings with some of the largest safe manufacturers and talking to their senior teams, I came away from that, got back to New York and said, guys, we'll never work with these companies. Holy crap. It was unbelievable. I was shocked coming from a military side of there's a way to do things and there's requirements, there's regulations. There's a, you, you build, you, there's a standard that you work to. These are guys who are risking their lives for this country and the gun safe industry, it's holy cow. Most of the guys didn't own guns. They, uh, they had no, they had no, they didn't care. Oh, don't get they me. Just st- made metal boxes don't get me started, man. There's so many, there's so many on the, even on the hunting side, not even the safe side. There's so many hunting brands and companies that are out there that are trying to market to, you know, the, the bow hunters out there or the gun hunters out there or the muzzleloader hunters out there or, or you name elk hunters, whitetail hunters, doesn't matter, that don't hunt or have hunted twice or they hired the yeah. first little girl out of college that knows how to run a social media to run a $100 million marketing campaign for a hunting company and wondering why they're not doing well. Um, I no, just, I oh, oh, my gosh. And, it, and, it's, and, and I don't know what's going to change. I don't know how you change. How do you change the paradigm of – of those things happening, you know, which I mean, I remember, I remember mentioned you guys talked on when you were on the other black rifle podcast about how these safe companies. And I was, I've, I'm fall victim to it too. I bought one of those big 36 gun safes that hold about 12 guns. Like why, why do they do that? Like, how can they, well, how do they get away with that? First and foremost? Well, it's, it's, it's like a parent with a child. If a, if a kid, you know, if a uh, school teacher, calls the parent and says, you know, little Billy has been telling little white lies at school. Just wanted to let you know. And the parent says to the kid, well, Billy, little white lies are okay. Just, just be careful. Don't tell big ones. Well, the kid's learning how to lie. And now the gun safe industry has had the well, capacity is one piece. They've been overstating capacity for 35, 40 years. They didn't use the original gun safes were pretty accurate, but I talked when I met with Liberty, their senior team, they, you know, we commented, they, they're commenting about my product, integrating my solution in their safe says, Tom, your system only holds 12 guns in that safe. That's a 36 gun safe. I'm going, come on guys, that's ridiculous. There's no way you fit 36 guns in that safe. He goes, well, capacity is our industry's little white lie. Those are, those are his exact words. You can, you can hold 36 and, pistols in there. You're not holding 36 it, rifles in there. Yeah. 
but you know, I'm like, you know, customers are smarter than that. But again, the consumer has accepted that. We all know if you buy a 36 gun safe, you're going to hold about 16 guns. Yeah. And we all, and, but people have accepted it and they don't challenge it. In fact, I challenge it. You'd be surprised how many people push back. Yeah. And I get, I get lit up on social media all the time saying, guys, this is bullshit. And, uh, but you know what? The same people, if you went and bought, you know, 10, 30 round magazines, got home and they only hold 14 rounds, you'd exchange them in a heartbeat. Yeah. Well, you would, you you would never accept that. Those people that are pushing back are the same people that say that Nancy Pelosi isn't in insider trading. So let's not listen to those people. But I mean, but it's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah it, it really is. Um, so it, in that transition from the military side to going into retail and now, you know, being full force essentially in both, what do you think was the biggest hurdle or the biggest challenge between the two since they are in different universes and they're different animals altogether? What do you think was the big challenge in that transition? Um. For us, the biggest challenge was was educating consumers. Um, in the military, again, it's, the military is such a it's such a closed bubble, such a tight knit. You know, it came down to the basically websites and information was very easy to to. It was easy to get the information to the people because such a tight knit group. You know who the units are. It's all public. You can look up almost anything you want. Going into consumer products. You know, out of the gate, we, uh, we you know, I hired a, a guy with a lot of retail experience, and we actually were in Academy, Bass Pro. Um, we were actually working on a deal with, with Tractor Supply, which is huge. I mean, oh, they're big. a yeah. stocking order to, to put our product in every single Tractor Supply store. Just to stock every store would be like an $8 million order. Wow. You know, it's just it's a massive organization. But we were going down that route, and we weren't getting good results. And started spending some time. I started traveling and looking back at, at, at what I'd done, the people I spoke to, and it came back to a conversation I had with a plant manager at Liberty. Um, you know, you meet with the senior team and they're very polished. And we had our meeting. I'm like, ah, I'm not going to work with these guys. Hey, Tom, do you want a plant tour to see what we do? I love a plant tour. Well, the, the plant manager is a regular guy like me. You know, I can, I'm kind of a blue collar guy that runs a company. So we're just talking, having a good time and he's sharing information Gun safes are designed to look good empty. I'm asking questions about why they do the interior certain ways. Just just kind of figuring stuff out because to me, the interiors of those safes are horrible mm-hmm. for actually holding guns. And he said, we design them to look really good empty because that's how shoppers evaluate them. And I was like, holy cow. And uh, so we're in, in all these retail stores. We're not getting good sell-through. And I realized our product, empty, doesn't look good. Mm-hmm. Our product looks good. We're filled with guns and gear. In fact, it looks great. In fact, it, it, it crushes it. And there's no way we can compete with the gun safe industry by putting my empty cabinet or empty safe next to theirs. Nobody understood what, what they were looking at. And the safe stores can't fill them full of guns. Yeah. So we, we decided we need to be a direct-to-consumer company and control this. And we started building a digital marketing engine and really went web-based and on the full digital side of things where we can control the user customer experience and really separate and pull away from the safe industry and be the, the non-safe, anti-safe. You know, we have ultralight and lightweight gun safes. And uh, 
we really started getting traction. That's, that's when things started to move forward. And then uh, we had Wrangler Star, which is a YouTuber, did a review. He did like a 30-minute video on our Agile cabinet. And uh, it was still fairly new on the market. And that video went to 5 million views and blew us up. We sold out of everything. And we, uh, it really, I, it was a big part of launching the retail side of the business and getting it going. And our first full year, we spent a chunk of money on TV advertising about, you know, the, the idea of, you know, modular, flexible storage compared to what a, you know, a gun safe is. And that kind of launched the brand. But then for the next four or five years, we spent zero on advertising and we've been growing like crazy. It's all been word of mouth. And uh, this year, you know, this in 2023, we've spent a lot of time and effort to build, uh, 2022, to build out a true marketing engine. We have a, a, a sizable, powerful marketing department now that, uh, you know, next year we're just, we're going to crush it. We're doing, you know, there's so many things happening. That is awesome. That is, that's really, really cool to hear. Um, I, uh, yeah, I absolutely love mine. And that kind of the, the, the really cool thing is when Baker called me and, and kind of told me about it and was walking me through um, the idea behind decentralized storage. Um, that is, that is, um, I, I have decentralized storage in my house, but it's not, not with your safes yet. Mm-hmm. I, I have, I have the quad. Uh, here at the office, but the idea of decentralized storage, I have that in my house, but it's on top of, <laughs> on top of the, um, you know, of top of the refrigerator in this cabinet and this, that, and the other in my house. Right. But, you know, I have three little ones too, and yep. they're about to get to the point to where on the top of the refrigerator is not a safe place anymore. So no. I, talk about your, your decentralized storage idea, because it is, it is genius. It is exactly what, the big safe guys don't want you to hear about. No, it, it is. And it's the, the underlying, the underlying, all of it is why don't people store guns that in, in a manner that's congruent with why they buy guns? You know, it's, we buy guns for reasons, home defense, hunting for, um, for uh, precision shooting for playing. And then we take them all and pack them in a big, box down in the basement where they're all slammed into each other scopes are banging into each other you can't get to them it's you know it's just crazy so decentralized storage the original these principles of decentralized storage um, was based on we worked the state department and the marine corps and this is under the obama administration um, obama did not like the fact that the marines carried m4s in u.s embassies he felt that was provocative and uh, just didn't like it. So he put out basically an order that said, guys, we do not want the Marines. I don't want them carrying M4s in public unless there's an actual crisis. I do not want them carrying rifles in the embassies. Marine Corps is very unhappy about that for obvious reasons. <laughs> I can imagine. You, you, you know, you're, ta- you're taking a security force in sometimes potentially house situations. Say, oh, yeah, and you can't carry a gun. Um, so we had done a lot of work with various units through embassies, a lot, a lot of the State Department units, and they came to us and we came up with, it was uh, using the fast box 
And basically, we have a fast box, which is a small, fast access safe, holds two rifles and a couple of handguns vertical. Um, you can use a horizontal as well, but we've got those in, in, in almost every room of embassies all over the world. Holy crap. And each one carries two air, carries two air 15s or M4s or an M4 and a shotgun along with handguns. Although those, they can carry their sidearms, I believe. But, uh, that was the original decentralized storage was, cause they put all the guns in an armory in the, cause normally in, there's an armory in a, in a, a, uh, in the console building, there'd be an armory in the basement or somewhere very secure. But if all the guns are in the armory and all of a sudden there's a true crisis, yeah. you can't get guys to the, it's just the logistics don't work. Yeah. We've always seen so the we movies. Broke. We've always seen the movies when crap hits the fan. They're all running to the one room that have got all the guns in it. And then yep. you, you kind of essentially took that concept and you scattered those guns into opportune locations and small right. cabinets. That's awesome. Right. And the idea with them is, you know, normally you go to an armory and everybody gets their gun because you're all, you, you have your firearm, your, your, your M4, or you'd have shifts where you'd have the same M4 issued every day. Yeah. Well, in the, in the decentralized is nobody has one. It's, you don't have access to your gun. You've just got access to the closest gun. Yeah. And it makes a lot more sense. So when you look at home storage, why, if you got 24 rifles and hand, a bunch of handguns, why storm in one big box in your basement and putting a safe in your den, like the brochure show, you know, those, those ads show with a big safe next to a pool table and a, and a big fireplace talking about heritage and heirlooms and a beautiful showpiece. A safe is not a showpiece. Safes should be hidden. You should, you never advertise where your valuables are. Yeah. It's crazy. So we break that all up and say, you know what? If you're going to have 24 rifles, okay. I'm going to put one under my, under my bed. No more in your bedroom is not a particularly secure room from, if you look at crime data, it's the least secure room in your home. And then front hall closet, I'll put a cabinet there. I've got six rifles in my front hall closet. I've got a cabinet in my kitchen pantry. I've got six rifles in there. Each of those cabinets, one of which is an AR-15 that's racked, right or all. Yeah. Um, and I just look at, that's kind of how we look at a home is, you know, where do you spend time? Now, a den is spent a lot of time there again from a security standpoint, not a particularly secure room. And so I, so I do, you know, a fast box or a small handgun storage solution. Um, you know, we spent a lot of time looking at FBI crime data. This was quite a few years ago. A thief breaks into your home. He's going to hit master bathroom, master bedroom in the closet. Then he's going to hit home office, den, dining room. Then he's going to leave. They're in and out typically in less than nine minutes. Typically, once they find something of value, they leave. They're looking for prescription drugs is number one. Then valuables, and they're going downstairs. They just want to get something. Yeah. Number one is they're looking for drugs. Um, and that's when you look at gun storage is, okay, what do you want to store guns? Well, for really large collections, if you've got a, a laundry room, a couple cabinets in a laundry room, thieves, thieves don't go in the laundry room. They don't give it. They don't care. Mm-hmm. Guest bedrooms, if you've got an extra bedroom in your house, keep it empty with a made bed table with a lamp and a chair piece of generic art in the wall nothing else in the room if a thief is spending more time in a home he's gonna open that door and say, oh, there's nothing in here he's, he's not going to bother to go through the closets because typically people keep clothes in closets not what they want yeah yeah no i mean so there's we, we've got a lot of information on our website and videos kind of really walking through the, the laying out the principles but the thing that kills me in the safe industry and i hear this all the time 
um, safe distributor. I hear people I talk to buy the biggest safe you can afford. You're going to grow into it. Yeah. It's just stupid. Buy what you need. And you know what? If you get two more guns, buy another one. Our cabinets are, you know, we do small, lightweight, modular. There's other companies that make smaller safes too, but why buy a dinosaur that you can't move? Oh gosh. I dread. We're building a house right now and mine's actually in storage. I dread moving that big safe again because I've had to move it out of the old house into storage. Yep. And now when we get this new house built, I have to move it back into this new house and I'm just dreading it. No, it's uh, you can hire a company, you know, safe moving company. Yeah. Expensive. Yeah. But but I'm cheap. People, a lot of people don't realize <laughs> I'm, you're, I'm dumb you know, and if cheap. You hire, yeah. If, well, if you hire, you know, one, if you're moving cross country long distance, you hire oh, one yeah, of the big, sure, yeah. Alley, one of the moving companies, they will not touch a gun safe. They yeah. will not put it in their truck. They don't want the liability of that big mass of metal bouncing around and destroying all the furniture. And they, so they, they absolutely will not touch it. And people don't realize the cost of moving a safe is crazy. Oh yeah. Well, and, and um, not to mention the price of buying a giant 36 gun safe. That's a, a boat anchor versus buying probably an array of, of cabinets that you guys have and decentralize your storage. I would say comparable in price to buy the array versus buying the one giant safe. It is, it is absolutely. And, the, the, you know, the, the cost of dollar value or time value of money, if you're, you know, if you're a young couple getting started in life, getting your life together, and you've got three or four firearms, you know you're going to get more, don't spend three grand on some huge safe saying in 15 years I'll fill it. Yeah. Buy, buy one little cabinet. Put your guns in it. Yeah. Three years later, when you need another one, buy another one. You're not tying up all this capital. Yeah. You know, all this money in a safe that you don't need. It's a... Uh, and I think people are catching on. Yeah. Um, I get more and more people and uh, talking about gun, about the weight of gun safes. And are heavy gun safes more secure? They feel more secure. You know, the safe industry wants you to believe that a heavy safe is a secure safe. And that's why they're so heavy. You know, the, the weight of a safe is not security. It's drywall. Yeah. It's, 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 it, that's what's in a safe. And, the reason for the drywall is when you open a safe up, and the reason safes are so deep, when you open the door, you don't want the safe to tip over, especially on a kid. Yeah. So they fill up a drywall and they make it really deep. The reason the doors are so heavy is you just read their brochures. They talk about level one, level two, level three security, and it's bolts, hardened steel bolts, then corner bolts, then drill plates over the lock, then plate doors. Everything is focused on the door. Because they want you to believe that that's your security because a thief's going to pry open that door, but not with level three security. It's impossible to pry open the door. Well, I'm going to walk in with a circular saw I bought in 1987 with a carbide blade I picked up at Home Depot that's designed for cutting rebar on concrete job sites. The blades are about 20 bucks. And it cuts you know, up to one inch rebar all day long. I'm simply going to cut a hole in the side of your safe and remove guns in about 22 seconds. It's yeah. so fast. I can cut a safe open faster than I can cut three-quarter inch plywood. Yeah. We've got videos demonstrating. I don't do a lot of videos on that stuff because it's really controversial. It pisses a lot of people off. But now my safes aren't more secure. Same metal. Same. I mean, I mean, our answer is the same gauge steel that Liberty uses, but there's no drywall, so it's a lot lighter. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we're, we, we are... And they're easy the to same put together. Track. Pardon? They're easy to put together. Yeah, it's, I mean, ships flat, and the Agiles are real easy to put together, and they ship flat, which makes it easier to live with. 
but again, when you decentralize your storage and store your safes in discrete locations, nobody even knows you own a gun. You know, it amazes me. You walk into somebody's house with a monster safe. Oh, he's got a bunch of guns. Yeah. I've got people coming over all the time. And if you didn't know that I worked in the industry, nobody would ever know I have a firearm in my home. There's no sign of a gun in my home yet. I'm never more than two seconds, three seconds away. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's, the, it's just, the, there's something to be said for that for sure. Yeah. That's yeah. It, it, it's, I think it is a, it's just like anything else is people just have to be educated. They have to see it in action. They have to make it make sense in their life. And I think it's, it's a no brainer once you start doing that, you know, and that's kind of the, which is so funny that we were talking is because you started making cabinets originally for computer tapes to back up yeah. computer. Yeah. Which is, which is crazy. So that was kind of my next thing is like, okay, do you got, I know. So, the, the, the cabinets that you have now are pretty modular. You can put virtually yep. any, any gun in them. Are, do you have, or is there something in the future to where we could make it modular enough to hold hard drives, servers, backup drives, things like that? Because that's something I'd be interested in. You can do it now. I'll tell you how. Real okay. simple. The, the Agile 52, the original, the original cabinet, the first prototype is here in my office, was designed as a charging laptop storage cabinet. So that cabinet, the original design of the Agile cabinet, the construction, how you assemble it, was, um, was our way of trying to make a laptop server cabinet that, would, that you could ship flat because they're so hard to ship those things. Oh, yeah. Um, and, this was, and, then we, and then the Agile, this is prior to me being in the whole retail gun safe business. And uh, once we started looking at it, we said, hey, we started talking about, you know what? We got to come up with some way of moving. And I saw it. I said, wait a minute. We, are, we already have done the design on this. We're just doing it wrong. And we turned that into the Agile. So what you want to do in that to put gear in it is put the, get the six capacity shelves. It's an accessory. Put some shelves in it. And then you're gonna, you probably have to go online, but they sell a power strip that would mount on the in, front inside edge. And what it's not like your cheap power strip with like eight plugs right in a row. The plugs are spaced out about every six inches. They're used. It's the same power strip you use in a server rack. Have you ever seen those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just it just drops the power outlets all the way down the side of the cabinet. And uh, you've got to find find like a forty eight inch power strip. And I would just put that in the side of the cabinet. You can put it with magnets, or you can drill a couple of holes and bolt it in place, and then run the cable out the back. You may have to drill a we have a hole in the back. I'm not sure it's large enough, depending on if you want to undo the wiring or not, and just plug it in, and you've got a full server rack. Yeah, it does. We don't do the 19-inch mounts, but most of the modern gear people buy, they're not. You know, the music industry still uses 19-inch rack mount stuff. I mean, so much gear has gotten more smaller and modular. I'm not sure people use it anymore. Yeah, see, and then all the bins and other accessories we have, you can just load up tons of gear. Yeah. See, we have, with the quad, we have one of the four of the cabinets we're not using, and I wanted to convert it yep. to uh, house our server, our our huge backup drive, and then we've got a bunch of just loose yep. hard drives um, yep. that, you know, which in our industry, you can steal our cameras and all that stuff all day, but don't steal my footage because I can't recreate that. I can always buy right. a new camera, but that's one of the things, like, I, I, I worry about is, like, oh, somebody walks off of that hard drive, we're in, we're in, 
deep crap, even though they might not even know what it is, but they think it's valuable. You know, somebody that doesn't do what we do for a living, they oh. grab a hard, yeah. yeah, the hard drive that's worth six thousand dollars, and like, oh, this looks expensive, and it is. But what's on that hard drive is way more important than the hard drive itself. So yeah. it's one of those things like, okay, we got to double, triple, quadruple check our ourselves on on making sure the stuff secure, not only data wise, but the physical drive itself. No, it is a uh, yeah. I mean, that you certainly can do it, and uh, you know, we've, we've got the cabinet here that that proves it out. But uh, that that's how I would do it: I'll pick up those power strips and put shelves in. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I want to look that up. It, what would you say that it was the Agile? What now? I'm gonna look it up. The it's the, it's it's part of the quad. It's the, the Agile 50. I mean, the Agile 52 and the Agile 40 were based on a 72 inch high laptop server cabinet, laptop storage cabinet. It's the exact same design. It just didn't have the cradle grid system in it. It just had shelves in it, and then we put a power strip in the front. Okay, so I need to get with, the shelves for mine then. Okay. Yeah, just, uh, yeah, we'll talk later. I'll, I can make that happen. I'll get some shelves. That's awesome. Well, <laughs> no, well, I, that's, uh, I really appreciate it. Um, I wanted to close this out with uh, with a good hunting story. What's, somebody, what's a good hunting story from recently? Hunting story recently. Yeah, well, um, it doesn't have to be recently. Just give me a listen uh, on a good hunting story. I want to hear a hunting story from good, you. Good hunting stories. Um, you know, it's my my very first deer I ever shot was uh, I was I was at a friend's farm, and I had a twelve gauge shooting a rifled bear. It was a the sable round, so the rifled yeah 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 um, slug slug barrel, and uh, I'd never been. I I. I had been hunting before, but never had a shot. And we're just, I'm just, I'm just sitting up against a tree because we've been walking, still hunting on his property. I just sat down. He was sitting behind me. And a couple minutes, all of a sudden, three deer come by. It's like, and you, know, you get real close and like, oh, shit, they're, they're right there. You know, it's probably 50 yards. So I just brought the rifle up. I'm just sitting, just waiting, waiting for the, there was a, Small deer, two large deer. I think they're, they're all does. And I set up and, all right, let her go. So I, boom, let it go. And uh, deer jumped up in the ice. Almost saw a puff of fur, took off, and the doe was not that far away. The round went through the doe, and I took the button buck as well. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> two for one. <laughs> and... Uh, I I don't know about that. I've, I've never. I mean, I guess it's ha- probably happened before. It wasn't my intention. Yeah. And uh, it was. Uh, I mean, those stable rounds at close range are yeah. brutal. Oh yeah, they are. Uh, I uh, I like to hunt with it. I use longer range. I like the long range shoot. So um, I like to set up. My year and a half ago, my wife and I bought a five hundred acre hunting ranch. And it's beautiful. It's twelve minutes from my house up in the mountains. It's beautiful. Up in New beautiful York, country. Yep, it's oh, central that's, New York. Just foothills awesome. of the Catskills. Okay. And uh, so we're we got a pole barn built. Got some equipment up there. We're going to start building a retreat up there. Hopefully, hopefully this next year. It's just with kids, family, parents, uh, all this stuff going on. I heard that. Um, well, I just and trying to get a builder. Yeah, I'd never been up to that area. I went up for a meeting. I uh, flew into Rochester, and I was, I guess, probably not terribly far from where you are. We were about an hour, hour and a half south of Rochester. Um, a friend of mine lives uh, up there, and uh, that is absolutely beautiful area. It's on, Honestly, it reminds me a lot of here in northeast Georgia. 
um, big rolling hills, lots of, you know, big timber, you know, the fields, lots of, you know, deer and stuff running around. And, um, it was, it was a beautiful area that I had never been to. And now, now my buddy's got me wanting to bring my dad back up there to do some salmon fishing, uh, the spring and summer. So I might have to come back up. The salmon fishing, I guess, is, can be epic up on the lakes. Yeah. That's where he's wanting to go. That's where he's wanting to take us, like flying to Rochester again and go up there and do it on the lakes. That's uh, yeah, that'd be, that'd be a good, I've, I've never, I've not done it. I, you know, I live on a lake. I live on a mountain lake, Casanova Lake, and, uh, which is renowned for bass fishing. And, uh, you know, when you live on a lake, you tend not to go elsewhere. I heard that. <laughs> but, but I need, I need to do that. Cause I'm, I mean, you get sick of catching bass. Oh yeah. Well, if I mean, you ever I mean, want to do it, I got the guy, I can send you the right direction. They, right. they hammer them. That's yeah. I've got friends that they go out on, on trips like that and they, 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 you can do very well. And it's a fun fit. I mean, bass just get, to me, it just gets boring. Uh-huh. I'm not going to keep them. I'd like to find a nice walleye lake around here. Yeah. And uh, that's See, a fun, that's I, I'm going to take food. I'm going to take my dad up there fishing. See, I never, I never, not much of a fisherman. I love to hunt, but I'll go yep. fishing. I'll go with him. But, um, I, I'm definitely more of a hunter than I am anything, but I mean, I'll go with him cause I know he enjoys it. Yeah, I'm with you. It's the the fishing is really more about a beer, a cigar, and a nice day. <laughs> um, I, I I do not get aggressive. Like, let's go, let's go crush it. I like the duck hunt, like the goose hunt, and yeah. uh, I do more of that on water than than fishing. I I I don't get out and fish that much. Um, well, if I do, it's because I'm taking somebody else who doesn't have the opportunity. Yeah, that's yeah. fun. You know, oh, I do 100%. that with the property. I've had. You know, I try to get, we've got some, we have some kids out hunting this year. I've got, I've got a friend of mine, an attorney. He got his first deer on our, on our ranch this year. There's nothing like and it. He just, that's, you know, that's fun. He's one of those guys, COVID hit and he decides, you know, get into hunting. So he did all the classes. Um, I, we got to the range and he's, uh, he's pretty proficient. He actually, he's in a trap. He got me to join a trap league. He crushes it. He crushes me doing that but uh yeah got him out and he got his very first deer which is really cool that is cool i bought my uh i bought my my wife an over and under for for christmas so we're gonna we actually have an annual skeet shoot just kind of a redneck skeet shoot with a bunch of buddies yep. um every year on the first of the year and you know everybody throws in ten dollars in the pot and we play a game of a hor- horse or or pig depending on how many people are there have you ever played that playing shooting trap or shooting skeet i i've not i'm not a big clay shooter i, I joined the league in fact, I've got to shoot on New Year's Day, is a, and uh, it's a skeet league, so it's tough. Mm-hmm. Um, I do some sporting clays a couple times a year, but I'm just getting into it. Um, yeah, it's not it's not a discipline that I do a lot, of, but I oh, do want see, to get more. Yeah. My wife wants to get into it as well. I'm not very good at it either. I know I, I'm. I mean, I'm decent, but we hand throw them. I mean, this is like in the backyard of our, you know, of yeah. our little hundred acres. But we'll play horse or pig, and then the winner, like everybody that enters, will be like twenty or twenty or so people that enter, and uh, we all throw in ten bucks, and it's like a winner take all. We've got a, um, yep. we've got a, like a trophy that we've had made up. It's just it's just a good time. I mean, it's just you know it people fun, going out and shooting and just having a good time with friends and family. But yeah, but Tom, um, thank you so much for your time. Um, I really appreciate it, and uh, hopefully, are you going to be at Shot Show? Oh yeah, we're going to be out. We don't we don't do a booth anymore. We used to. It's just not worth it for us. But we're out there. Chris and I will be out there. And Karen Hunter, our uh, business development. Uh, I've got a pretty full dance here. Yeah, we'll be out. A lot of meetings. I think I'm doing a. I think we're doing a show with uh, with Baker okay. at the Black Rifle Coffee booth. 
Well, then I'm going to um, try and find. I'm going to try and find Baker. I at least uh, shake your hand and uh, put a face with yeah. uh, with with the name when I get there. So I'll be there Tuesday and Wednesday. I've got a couple meetings and I got to go to San Diego for a shoot. But um, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me and educate me on a few things. And um, I hopefully we'll see you in Vegas in a couple what two three weeks something like that. Yeah, you will see me there. Just send me a text one and we'll hook up, man. All right, buddy. Well, I appreciate the time. Thank you so much. All right, thank you very much. All right, bye.